The following Dharma talk was given during a retreat at the Berry Center for Buddhist Studies. This retreat, Human Flourishing and the Evolution of Buddhism in the West, was led by Barry Majid and Max Erdstein in October 2021. It's a little bit earlier for me than uh, usual to give a talk. I'm on the West Coast, so it's um, please be a little patient as my uh, as my brain wakes up. Um, as Barry was saying last night. Um, this idea of really looking closely at what we're doing in practice. What, you know, why, why, we, why we practice, why we come to practice, um, what we believe that uh, we need, what, we, what, what relief from our suffering might look like. Um, these are incredibly valuable reflections you know, and I think the the general movement of practice is is you know this this very famous teaching of turning the light around. So you know we're looking at ourselves, um, and then in this weekend, um, the the suggestion or the invitation uh, is that there's also value in um, looking at the container you know, the tradition that we've inherited, the, the, the culture, cultures that this tradition has, has come, come to us from. And um, reminded of this uh, response by Suzuki Roshi, who was the, the, you know, the founding teacher of the, of the San Francisco Zen Center. And uh, you know, quite an important person in bringing Zen to the West. And uh, when he was at the end of his life, I think in the, in the early 1970s, uh, someone asked him, you know, what what will Zen look like uh, in the West? And you know, Zen particularly is a school of Buddhism that's known for its kind of austerity. You know, when you go into a Zen, a Zendo or a Zen temple, it's all the cushions are black and are lined up perfectly. The monks are wearing black robes and white walls. And it's kind of, you know, this, the aesthetic is a big part of Zen, right? And Suzuki Roshi just looked at the, the student and said, so he said, what, what will Zen look like in the West? And he said, very colorful. <laughs> And uh, I don't know why that comes to me when I, uh, I have, there have been times when I've been at the big meditation hall at Spirit Rock. Some of you might know Spirit Rock, the big insight meditation center in Northern California. And it looks like, you know, I, I, I don't say this pejoratively at all, but it's kind of like a, the aftermath of a of a tornado of a kind of kindergarten class, you know, and, the, and there's 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 blankets and 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 clothes and 
all kinds of different cushions and beach chairs and camping chairs and right. Um, so so traditions traditions evolve, um, and I think the closer we look at Buddhism as a tradition, one of the things we we may notice is that in a way there's not really one Buddhism, right? You know, it's not like the book of Buddhism and you kind of like the Bible of Buddhism, you go and that's where it all is. And then, yeah, we're, you know, we have to kind of refer back to that and are we following that or not? Um, it seems to me that the Buddhist tradition is, is much more a tradition of Buddhisms, right? You know, and, and these local experiments. Um, and so, so whether we realize it or not, each of us is part of, of, of this experiment, the local experiment. Um, personally, uh, I am, you know, I, I'm an, uh, a manifestation of that in the sense that I'm a practitioner and a teacher in two traditions, in the, in the insight meditation, uh, Theravadan tradition, and also the Soto Zen school, Soto Zen tradition. So, um, yeah, these, 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 these experiments and these streams of, of practice. Um, and I mentioned that just, just to sort of highlight what Barry was saying last night is that there are a multiplicity of perspectives uh, on practice. Um, and but what, what really excites me is where you know the way that these tradition this tradition these traditions can come alive inside of us you know um just in the sense that there isn't a, a bible of buddhism um i love i love you know it was a it was a great insight for me getting getting that point that there isn't a buddhism out there you know this is something that happens um, within us, you know, the, you know, this is, a, there's something incredibly personal about this, um, um, you know, practice as an abstraction is, is not that useful. And so this personal encounter with tradition, one of the, as I was just reflecting on what I wanted to share this morning, I was remembering the first long meditation retreat I sat. Um, if, you know, like, like any of us going into, going into a retreat, I had lots of ideas about what should happen, what would happen, what I wanted to happen, what was supposed to happen, all the things I thought were getting in the way of that, you know. And this was at Spirit Rock which is, is quite a large center for those of you who don't know. I usually, I think there's about 100, 100 participants, 100 students on a retreat. This was a month long retreat. And I, I had done other retreats before, before that, but this was my first one at this center. And uh, 
part of the form is to talk, you know, there's, there's a large meditation hall and, and there's sittings and, and teachings in there and guided meditations and, and Dharma talks. But then every, I guess it was every other day, we would go in to meet with a teacher one-on-one -on -one. and they were in these interview rooms. And so it was kind of this little building next to the meditation hall with these little rooms. And I, you know, went in and, and, and the teacher was there and greeted, greeted each other and sat down. And just as I was about to speak through the wall, I heard this tremendously agonized, loud uh, wail of, 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 you know, of expression of anguish, expression of uh, grief, or, you know, I didn't know what, what exactly it was. And it just got louder and louder and louder. And I looked at the, you know, the teacher, he looked at me. And it was like, there was nothing we could do, but just sit there quietly and like bear witness to this expression, you know, and just, you know, I, it's, you know, I was like, okay, is this person okay? They're, you know, they're in the next room and, you know, what's going on? And, but it was, it was a sound coming out of a person like I had never heard before in my life. And, um, and it felt like, uh, you know, just it, in those moments of being there and sitting in silence and just, you know, and just, said bearing witness or the you know kind of this there was something sacred in that but also for me it was like oh okay it was this something clicked that this this is not um you know whatever i think i'm doing here whatever i think i'm gonna get a little more relaxed or a little more calm or i'm gonna figure out this problem in my life, this decision I need to make, you know, not bad things at all. It was like, okay, that this practice is uh, about touching what is most deeply true for each of us, you know, waking up to that truth. And, uh, you know, these, these, these core questions of existence of who we are. And, um, And, and in, in that moment, what I remember experiencing was this sort of unity of the deeply personal, you know, because it was just so personal. I mean, in a way, I felt like I should, we should go or something. We should leave, give this person their privacy. Um, but there was also something so universal about it. And the fact that she had come here to be with a hundred people um, to figure out how to, to face this and experience this. And um, that was very moving for me. And so where, so 
you know, the personal and, and the universal. And, and what I found out later was uh, this was a woman who was mourning the, the loss of, of a child. And, and later in the retreat, she rang this huge gong um, 108 times. And I think it took, you know, two hours or something. I don't know, it was like really spaced out, but that she kind of went through this whole ritual. Um, and um, so, yeah, so, 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 um, the personal meeting, meeting the tradition and, and um, in a way the tradition only lives within us as, a, as, as something personal. And you know, a, a, as Barry said last night, um, in looking at three, three different perspectives on practice, um, what I'll, I'll share a little bit about is the um, this early Buddhist tradition, and which maybe we could say is characterized by letting go. You know? and, and I think there was something for this student, this person who came on this retreat, um, that she was she was entering into this process of experiencing this loss and um, letting go. There's a, there's a famous teaching by the great Thai, uh, 20th century Thai master, Ajahn Chah. And he says something like, um, if you let go a little bit, you'll have a little bit of peace. If you let go a lot, you'll have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will know complete peace and freedom. And, and, and so Ajahn Chah was a, a Theravadan monk in the Thai tradition. And what I love about this teaching is I think it expresses in a way path of practice as, as a path of subtraction, as Barry was saying. As a, as, as a path of um, letting go more and more to um, the ways that we grasp and cling and resist. And, and it's not so much worried about what we're gaining, what we're getting, what we're knowing. It's, it's you know, in a way it takes a tremendous amount of trust to to let whatever, whatever is not true, whatever is not needed, whatever is extra fall away. And um, so I think this is a pretty good characterization of this Theravadan perspective, Theravadan practice. And um, so it's a, it's a, you know, at its essence, Maybe we could say, you know, I'm, I'm open to debating it. And, I, you know, there's always another side or something, right? But I think we could say maybe at its essence, it's, it's the path of practice as a, 
as as a path of um, of of doing less and less. And I often think that in the arc of meditation, um, there's a movement from doing to non-doing. You know, so when we first start to meditate, you know, especially in the in the insight meditation tradition, there are lots of teachings, lots of guidance, lots of techniques. You know, you can work with the breath this way. You can work with the breath this way. You cultivate feelings of positive states of, of, of metta, of loving kindness, of compassion, you know. Um, but this doing is ultimately in the service of non-doing. It's in the service of undoing itself. And so, um, you know, it's this movement to doing less and less. And um, these positive states of concentration and well-being and feelings of safety, it turns out that they are very, very helpful for letting go. You know, you can't say to someone who's traumatized and upset and contracted and frozen, oh yeah, just let go, right? You know, that's, that's, that's probably worse than, you know, meaningless. Um, but when, when, when we've cultivated a sense of safety and well-being and a capacity to be present for what's happening, you know, it becomes a little bit easier to, to let things be as they are and not, you know, constantly be, be grasping. Um, one, one of my teachers had this great line, as she said, you know, talking about the path of letting go, she said something like, everything I've ever let go of um, has claw marks all over it. <laughs> you know, letting go is, not, is not, not, not necessarily the most appealing uh, thing. And I also think it's, it's, it's quite interesting that um, awakening you know, enlightenment in the early Buddhist tradition isn't defined by a certain kind of experience. It isn't defined by a feeling. It isn't defined by a cosmic consciousness or oneness with life or, you know, something like that. It's defined in a way, in a very simple way, in a very humble way, perhaps, is that by absence. It's the, the identity of awakening, awakening as the absence of clinging. It's the absence of greed, hatred, and delusion. Um, and it's a little bit hard to convey in in the language the the way that that kind of absence can be experienced as so satisfying so so beautiful so complete um, but it's but it's a it's you know kind of like the ultimate subtraction um, and 
So letting go, absence. And then, so how does this letting go, how does this um, doing less and less, this kind of, of, of practice of uh, non-clinging, liberation through non-clinging, um, well, you know, just one thing to say about that is that, um, which I think is true of, 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 of many of these perspectives, is that non-clinging is approached through being present for our clinging, right? Of, of sitting with a lot of care, a lot of kindness, a lot of patience for all the ways that we, you know, that we grasp that we resist, that we um, um, so, so to be, be really present for um, how we suffer is, is, is the way to, you know, this, this liberation from clinging. Um, And then this, this brings us to what we could say, what is in the, in, the, in the Buddhist tradition or the early Buddhist tradition, what is the sort of ultimate manifestation in our world of letting go, of non-clinging, of renunciation? And I would suggest, I don't know if it's the ultimate manifestation, but it's a kind of iconic um, archetypal manifestation is the um, form of monasticism, right? You know, of leaving home, of giving up the world, of turning away from a life of total, you know, uh, I can kind of do what I want, be gratified in the ways, you know, as long as I can get that gratification, I'll get it. Um, and um, setting that aside and, and taking on this form of life, you know, you know so the, the, the monastic form, I think we can say that we probably wouldn't have these teachings you know, in this form, if we didn't have the, the culture of monasticism through the ages, you know, has really been the carrier of the tradition. Um, if you look at the, um, the, the sort of the founding story of the Buddha, of the Buddhism, uh, the Buddha-to-be was a, you know, as we're told, was a prince, right? You know, very wealthy, had all the pleasures of life, beautiful young family, and left all of that, left home to go on this spiritual quest. And, you know, it's sort of interesting that after the Buddha's great enlightenment, you know, it wasn't like he went back home and was like, okay, that was good. You know, like we finish a retreat, you know, okay, that was great, but now I'm back, you know, PTA meetings and blah, blah, blah. It was like, you know, he 
he stayed as a, a monastic and founded a monastic order. And um, so, so there's a way in which this path of letting go is sort of crystallized in the renunciation and the devotion of the monastic life. In, you know, for those of you who might not know, um, at least in the, in the early Buddhist, the Theravadan tradition, monks and nuns um, live quite, um, quite an austere regimented life, you know, eating one meal a day, um, not allowed to, you know, they're celibate. They don't, they don't have sex. They, they don't even touch money. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of different interpretations of this and how it actually lived. But that's, you know, there, there are monastics who live like this. And um, it's an interesting question for us as, as participants in this Buddhist experiment, experiments in this Buddhist tradition. But most of us are probably not um, renunciant mendicant monastics. You know, we, we uh, deal with money, we deal with sexual relationships, we, we live in the world, um, we you know, have to face questions of politics and you know, all kinds of you know, all the things that a modern uh, person um, deals with. And then I think the interesting question one interesting question is, how do we relate to this um, form of renunciation and uh, letting go? And, you know, I, I think it might be easy to get the impression that the people who are wearing the robes, that's the real thing, right? You know, that's, that's real practice. If you're lucky at some point in your life, you can touch one of those robes or wear one or get one, you know, for some period of time, but that we're all doing this sort of, you know, uh, not, you know, the, this sort of copy of that, you know, in some way. And I think that would, that would be very unfortunate. Um, and because I don't, I don't think that's accurate. Um, and I mean, maybe, maybe the corollary to that is that there's some kind of, you know, this idealization of letting go or idealized form of renunciation that we never can quite reach, you know, and, and maybe our life is just impossible, we think, to, to, ever, to ever approach that. Um, so there are pitfalls. There are pitfalls in, in, in the path of letting go. I also, um, just in a couple of minutes we have left here, I wanna reflect on the ways that you, we might, might benefit, might, um, might find renunciation, simplicity, um, in our life, you know, at the center that where I teach in California, called the Insight Retreat Center, we at the beginning of retreat, there is this ancient ritual that we perform. And it's called the handing over of the iPhones. 
you know, talk about renunciation, right? This is a big deal for people. And it's, you know, it's not mandatory. It's not compulsory. It's just for people who, who for that would be helpful, you know, to actually, you know, you give it to us, we lock it up, it's safe. And this is a big deal. Um, and there's a, there's a kind of renunciation, I would suggest every time we sit down to meditate. And certainly every time we come on a, a retreat and leave, leave, step out of the stream of our life for a little bit, but even in a, in a 30 minute period of, of zazen, like what we're doing here, we're renouncing something. We're renouncing the instant gratification of checking the phone every five minutes and getting up to make a snack when we feel like it. And we're renouncing the, you know, we're, we're not just letting the mind run crazy with, with stories and, and, and fantasies. And, you know, there's a, there's some intention, there's some letting go. And we're letting go moment by moment when we return, when we come back, when we're willing to stay here and stay present. Um, so, so it's this question, you know, what is, um, maybe this is something that we can explore, um, you know, uh, in our discussion groups, and I'll talk about that in a, in a moment. But this question of what is the, um, how do you relate to the path of practice as the path of subtraction, of letting go. Um, how does how does renunciation? How might renunciation figure into this? Either the the renunciation of the kind of you know that we've inherited in this monastic form. Um, so, but but really. Where, where in our lives is renunciation supportive? Is it helpful? Is it, is it liberating? Um, Suzuki Roshi once said something like, maybe I'll end on this note. He said, renunciation, you know, in its deepest sense, renunciation is not giving up the things of the world, is not giving up the things of the world, but accepting that they go away. So, I mean, in this formulation, renunciation is an expression of reality. It's an expression of seeing clearly. Um, the woman on my retreat who was grieving the loss of her child wasn't renouncing children or parenthood or he was coming to terms with the reality of what was already gone, right? And, and to, to touch into this kind of renunciation, we don't have to be a monk, we don't have to be a nun, we don't have to study in um, you know, one of the great Buddhist universities in India or uh, Japan or something. And we just have to be a person and, and live a human life and, um, and be present enough to uh, realize that uh, 
you know, the, the reality of, of impermanence, of change. So, so maybe I'll stop here. It's, um, I think we would like to, if that's okay, go into our groups now. I, and then we'll have a break. We're gonna have, we're gonna have about a little bit less than 30 minutes. So it's gonna be, uh, we're, we're gonna have small groups now until 8.30. And the idea is these are gonna be groups of five or six. And um, it's very helpful to, in these, in these times of interaction, to, to kind of treat it like it's your, it's the mind of zazen or the mind of meditation where we are giving our full attention to what to what someone is sharing, and um, to let each person have the opportunity to share. But yeah, maybe to discuss a little bit on this theme of 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 practice as letting go, practice as renunciation. How how do you relate to that? How does it manifest for you and your where is it difficult? Where where does it feel, you know, hmm, that's, that's not comfortable. That's not for me. Um, and so what? So we'll have these small groups for the next twenty five minutes or so.